Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hello out there and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly and joined with me is my lovely co-host Serge. Serge, how are you today? Shelly, I'm doing great. Are you? you well, do- it doesn't sound like it. I'm a little tired, to be completely honest. Very busy in the recruitment space right now. And I know you and I were actually working on some stuff till quite late last night. Yes. So yeah. I'm tired because yeah. of you. It's all your fault. <laughs> right. Okay. Said no man ever. Anyways, let me ask you something, Serge. Have you ever been attacked by an animal? Cat, dog, ferret, weasel? Not, yeah, no. Not that raccoon. I can remember. There, there was one time that a bear attacked me and I fought him off. But aside from that, I've never been attacked by my dog or cat. I remember oh. being chased around by the neighborhood dog that was actually really a nice dog and just wanted to play. But as a kid, uh, a dog you is yeah. after you. You just run and he runs yeah. faster. Why? What happened, Shelly? Let me tell you what. So as a kid, Serge, and I know this is going back a long way, there used to be up around Innisville, it might even still be there as a wildlife park. And they had like a mountain lion on a collar on a chain. And I very stupidly went over to pet it. I was like 10 years old. The thing jumped me and the handler was right there. I wasn't hurt or anything. Now dial the clock forward to, oh, say five days ago, my kitty passed away. So I adopted another cat that was said to be, you need to be patient with this cat was basically what they told me. Cat's purring, being real sweet with me, walks out of the room. A few minutes later, I walk out of the room, turn around, walk back in. The cat jumped on my leg, front claws and back claws. And I have 27 deep lacerations all around my calf and my foot. I was so shaken up. I I tell you, Serge, it was, yeah, it shook me up so bad. So uh, needless to say, I, I surrendered the cat and I had to actually fill out a form and sign it and register that this is a, a vicious animal. Wow. Holy shit. Scared me like, oh my God. So are you saying you're no longer a cat lady, Shelley? <laughs> that is what I'm saying, Serge. I don't think I'll ever own a cat again. I think our first cat, we rescued him as well. And he only lived three years, but we knew that he, he was an old cat. He yeah. was like, unadoptable according to most because he was like 10 years old when we adopted him so no actually now i'm seriously thinking i'll get a dog what type of dog would you get i don't know like i'm wide open for suggestions i really am i don't want a big dog and i don't want a dog that needs to be run every day i want one that's just really a chill kind of natured dog i've Um, told you about the dogs that i have so i know so for a long time yeah and they're great. They have a lot of health issues. So just putting that yeah, up, right. up front. But they're lazy, <laughs> which is fantastic. I think my dog will say no to go out for walks, depending if it's too cold or if we're going out for too really? long. He sleeps 23 hours in the day, but he snores like a mother. <laughs> and also he farts oh. as well. So if you can deal with all of those... The they're snorting, the farting. Yeah, but they're such great and refusing dogs. to go outside. All they want to do is cuddle and sleep, really? which to me is an ideal dog. Great temperament. What's the dog's name? Sorry. 
I should so know this. Louie. Is... Louie. And so what's Louie like with the girls? Or when somebody oh. comes over to the house that he doesn't know? Yeah, he's very protective of the girls. So we do okay. have an alpha male situation in the house that he would never attack me or anything. But say I'm playing rough with the girls, he'll come in right in the middle and try to intervene, not by biting oh. or anything like that. He will bark at me if I am, say, chasing the girls around. So he is the alpha male in our house and I'm trying to wow. upseat him and it's... It doesn't always go well. And, and I had another French bulldog male that passed away around a year ago. I know. So heartbreaking. And he was very similar. He was very protective of the girls. So I guess it depends. But they're so expensive too. French bulldogs are very trendy right now and they're very expensive. Well, I started the French bulldog trend like every other trend because I had my first French bulldog. <laughs> the trend originates with ago, you. So the trend originates with me. Got it. Shelly, I will yeah. help you in your journey okay. to get a new dog. And and we'll update the audience. If you have any suggestions, please send them to Shelly for any Yeah, please. Dog. Yeah, yeah. So with the criteria that I've outlined, like not super energetic. Yeah. I'm really wide open to suggestions. Yeah, I think it's sure. time for a dog. I think you need love in your I life. Do. And I a do. dog will give you love more than anything else. Cats don't give a fuck about you. That's just the nature. I know you are you had a great relationship with your cat that just passed away, but they really yeah. don't care about you. Dogs do. So let's dive into the recruitment insights this week. I do you start. Wanna, yeah, I do want to yeah. start with something that... Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the labor gaps, right? And when we talk about labor gaps, there's so many different versions of why this is happening from government benefits to people just quitting their jobs because there's so many options to go to another job. The list goes on and on. And one that we haven't talked a lot about, if we look at our generation, so I'm Gen X, you're Boomer, I'm assuming. Do you know, I'm right on the cusp. You're right on the cusp. I'm right yeah, on yeah. the cusp. I'm either what they call an elder millennial or a young gen- <laughs> geriatric millennial. <laughs> That's exactly the word yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. So when we look at how the world of work mm-hmm. has worked in our lifetime is there's been a break of trust between employers and employees. And this has happened through several recessions. Mm-hmm. It's also happened through the pandemic as People just got laid off. The minute that COVID hit, companies panicked and laid off. So when you do that, it it does break the trust. Then we look at millennials and then Gen Z. They're looking at the nine to five work hour and they're like, I don't know if that's for me. I'm not opting into this world of work. And this is where we've seen a huge trend in freelance work. We work with contingent workers and different organizations, but I really think we're seeing a dramatic change. We're seeing people in roles, especially the artists that I like to call. So we're talking about Mm -hmm. graphic designers, even copywriters. Mm -hmm. They're going out and putting their services out. And there's a story about this lady that's a copywriter that on Upwork, she's making around $500,000 a year and picking the project she wants to work. She's traveling the world at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to start seeing or we're going to continue to see a lot of this freelance work. And that is where a portion of the workforce is going. So companies can either adjust to that type of workforce mm-hmm. or they're going to be constantly struggling to be able to fill those gaps. So what's your overall take on freelance work and how job seekers are opting to go that route instead of just your regular nine to five job? 
Yeah. Do you know, I think it is fascinating because my roots started in the agency world. And so I believe from day one that there's a certain type of person who chooses it versus a staffing agency who'll say, oh, take this temporary assignment and maybe it'll turn into something full-time. It's more of a stopgap or it's just out of desperation. You've got to provide for your family. And what you're talking about is that this is now a choice and it is a choice not out of desperation. It is a choice because of lifestyle, but I think you can also get paid better. If you can go direct, and that I think is why so many staffing firms started to really get nervous, or if anything, they started dissing the fibers of the world or the gig economy. It was such a big trend, you know, five or six years ago, but they're probably seeing it now. And staffing firms are having to focus more now on, correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe they're focusing more on hourly workers, low skill, no skill, because those, like you say, a graphic artist or a copywriter is a skill that is such hot demand. And if you're working for one company who at their whim can cut you loose, why wouldn't you? You know, the other thing is with the invention of Fiverr and Upwork and other ones is that your pipeline of opportunities is being filled for you. Yes. That's what stopped most people in the past was the roller coaster of finding your next gig. But now you can start bidding on gigs and then saying, listen, I'm available next week. And then clients can decide whether or not to have you do the work. I think it is absolutely the solution to what was stopping people before. Yeah, I agree. And when you think about the staffing firms who are the arbitrator of uh, the freelance economy, and we've all worked with staffing agencies, and there's some good ones, some bad ones, but the type of roles they're targeting is exactly in that wheelhouse. And if I'm a copywriter, that flow of work that can come in from Upwork, Fiverr, then if you're a web developer, there's TopTel. There's a lot of great platforms. And even the HR space, our friend Chris Russell has HR Lancers. Even in the HR space, there's different ways that you can get different gigs. And I think we're going to see that propagate across all industries. Obviously, it doesn't affect like retail or service. That's really tough. But in a way, it does. Because if you look at Uber, all the food delivery type of services, we're seeing a huge impact. People are wanting to balance their lives. And how they can balance their lives is picking the type of work they want to do and they don't want to do. Which, for a lot of companies, they either move over to a system that can accommodate contingent freelance type workers to get the work done, or they're going to be in a perpetual situation that they just can't hire enough people. We're seeing it. The employment rate in the US and Canada is extremely low, but we've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of companies looking to hire. How are companies going to be able to shift to accommodate those types of workers? And a lot of the smaller firms are able to move quickly, but they haven't been moving quickly. A lot of the freelance has actually been done by the larger firms that have been able to manage it. So I think we are going to see it dramatically make an impact. And I'm curious on your end, as far as a recruiter and working with your hiring managers or your organization, is this something that you're bringing it up? Instead of hiring that copywriter full-time, 
why not engage them on a platform like Upwork or Fiverr and, and fill the gap that you need for at least the amount of time that you need. And eventually, if you do need to hire full-time, it, it just buys a little bit more time for you as a company. What's your overall take? I think the answer lies in our next insight topic, actually, <laughs> because it's great for those of us with lots of experience. As a freelancer, I think you really have to have some pretty good experience. I don't know about Before that. you Let- can freelance. I, I'm not sure about that because if we look, a lot of the freelance on Upwork and Fiverr is actually really young people that have really specific skills that a lot of companies are looking for. Like podcasts is a perfect example. There's tons of people on Fiverr or Upwork that have trained themselves on how to edit uh, podcasts and they engage their service. So yes and no. I think there's mm-hmm. definitely a benefit mm-hmm. if you're highly skilled and experienced, but there's also that person that grabs a skill, gets really good at it, and then sources those services through those types of platforms. Yeah. Speaking in terms of the employer's perspective, okay. like smaller companies, I think they'd be more likely because they can't offer the training, the support, there's no learning and development department. So they need a specific skill for a specific amount of time. I don't know if large corporations, certainly not in Canada, they're not ready to let go of this concept of somebody needs to stay with your company for five years. And the other thing that I think we're so conditioned is that turnover is bad, right? So you want to hire people and you want to keep them for a long time because at some point, once they're trained on how you do things in your business, then they add value versus somebody who comes in from, I only need your skill from this point to this point. They have to be experienced. And I don't think big companies in Canada are ready for this yet. Yeah, part of the challenge they're going to have is they're not going to be able to find people. And this is an alternative to be able to find people. I totally get that. And they go back to culture. How do you build a culture unless you have everyone both in an office and mm-hmm. working for the company and basically drinking the company Kool-Aid, which... <laughs> I really do think yeah. those days are over. People do well, really don't. I wouldn't say they're over. I, I really wouldn't. I, I no? really believe that humans need to feel like they belong. They really do. I think it's very much a human need. Anyways, let us move into our next topic because I think it flows really well. I've seen it just recently that companies don't want to hire junior developers when asked why. Like, why would you not take someone and train them up? Because there's such high demand, they're, what, afraid they're going to leave? So my natural conclusion would be to think that companies don't want to invest. They don't want to take time away from their senior developers to mentor the junior ones because they think, well, they're just going to leave in three years. How do you feel about that type of thinking, Serge? I'll tell you, I live in this space and every mm-hmm. company that I work with will not hire junior developers. Why? And part of it is uh, there is such demand for that particular skill and there is such demand from clients to be able to execute on projects or to build the products out. So when you're looking at that particular market, you're hiring a junior dev a junior dev takes a lot of time because they haven't gone through the different roadblocks. They don't know how to get unstuck. And the way for them to get unstuck is have a senior dev work with them and give them the ability to move on and give them guidance. But the minute that you're moving a senior dev, which there's not a lot of them and most companies are short, you're taking them away from production. You're taking them from actually being profitable Mm -hmm. for the company. 
And there's a lot of hesitation because now you're moving away a senior dev, working yeah. with a junior. You're taking a lot of time and money. A junior dev doesn't bring a lot of value when they come in. They actually bring almost no value initially. It does take a year to two years for them to bring real value. Because to right. give you one senior dev is like 10 junior devs, if you take about the correlation. For of, productivity, you mean? For productivity. Because the first thing I think of, Serge, is how is that any different than a junior lawyer or a junior accountant? I don't understand it. Really if you look don't. At it, if I'm a company hiring a junior dev, by the time that I'm actually seeing value in them, I'm losing them. Because the minute- Same they become, can be said for accountants and lawyers. Not at though, the same right? level. Accountants are okay. not getting 30, 40 different requests from recruiters almost on a weekly basis because they're such in demand. So if I'm a company and hire a junior uh. dev, I'm taking a guy off production to train him. So I've got a senior guy off production. I've got a guy that's not driving a whole lot of value. And now, I train them for a couple of years, put all that investment, someone is going to come and offer them 50, 100% more than what they're making now. So the solution to that is just be very proactive in paying them more. But the other thing that I've seen with devs, they get bored on a particular project and something new and exciting. Say I'm working on, say, at a major bank as a developer building something, then suddenly this really cool, hot company comes in. I am going to jump. Uh, And... They probably should because they build up that experience. So for companies are very reluctant to train those people that eventually lose. Is that a flawed philosophy? Absolutely. But I think everyone is scrambling so much to be able to execute that junior devs are just falling out. And to your point, this relates to a lot of industries. I'm seeing a lot of entry level jobs saying five to seven years experience. No one is willing to train new people coming into most industries, your accountant, lawyer, from everything, like from recruiters. Who is training really junior recruiters and coming into the play? We're just running as fast as we can and we can't slow down. So recruiters is another example of if we took more time in training, it actually would have a a lot bigger impact and they probably would stay at your company longer. But devs are unique. I'm going to make a prediction, Serge, because this is where innovation happens. Because if nobody will train them, everybody wants five years of experience, technology will be developed and innovation will be developed that will replace it because business won't stop. Industry won't stop. And so if nobody's willing to train junior recruiters, they will be replaced by technology. It's as simple as that. You still need the function and you're shooting yourself in the foot because eventually there is still work to be done. But if you've never invested in new grads, apprentices, you roll the clock forward 15 years and you're in big trouble. You're well, that's really a really good point. I don't think you'll ever be able to replace recruitment or interpersonal skill is really the asset they bring to the table that technology can't change. But yes, not booking interviews. Exactly. All that stuff around. (laughs) Which is what we get our junior recruiters to do. I think we're going to be in a position, because if we look at software developers, a lot of it is being automated. To give Mm -hmm. you an idea, GitHub released a code writer that writes the whole code for you. And feedback from different developers that I've talked about it, it's actually really, really good. There's codes being built by automation 
And the second is no code environments. We're seeing a lot of web development that is leveraging no code. Is it there yet? Is it garbage right now? Absolutely. But to your point, 10, 15 years from now, that's going to change. We are going to be in a position, a lot of it is going to be automated because if we can't fill the gap, technology will. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk about the next subject, which is lying on your resume. What's your take there? (laughs) You immediately toss it to me. I believe there's two types of recruiters in this world. There are those who look at a resume and they're looking for where's the lie. So if you believe that fundamentally people are deceptive, that fundamentally people are liars, I think you better find a different job. Right? The day that I believe that all candidates are liars is the day I will quit recruiting. Let's split a few more hairs here because what's a lie? So (laughs) I know for some people it's really black and white. And I have worked with recruiters who honestly believe that, you know, everyone's a liar. I believe that we maybe embellish. I believe that we maybe stretch a little, but outright lies. I can say in my career, catching an, an individual who just outright lied, they didn't actually do what they said they did, or the reason they left their last job turned out to be a complete lie. And the law was after them. <laughs> <laughs> what they did. So of the thousands of of people I've been involved interviewing and hiring with, how many times does that really happen? In my experience, it's really been, I'd say less than one or 2% have outright lied. Have you ever lied in your resume, Shelly? So again, let's split hairs here because I left off information. Is that a lie? Well, it depends how relevant it is. If you left off the date well, that you a resume is a simple- from, from college, I get why you would do that because you want to remove the the bias of your age, especially you. I would definitely not have that <laughs> I knew on. you were going to say that. But so, is that what you're well, talking about? Hey, quite frankly, I talk to a lot of uh, job seekers who have been told to leave the date off yep. the year they graduated because uh, of age bias. Now, as a recruiter, I have two options. They're leaving it off because they don't want to disclose how old they are, or they didn't put the date they graduated because they didn't finish. They went to school, that is true, but maybe their family member got really sick in their third year and they had to bail out, or they ran out of money. But wouldn't you put on your resume, so the years that you've gone and if you've graduated or not, that's what I do on my resume. Well, you do because you're still barely 40 and there's no age discrimination against you. It's once you get to 50, age discrimination is a real thing. So there's a lot of job coaches for job seekers that will tell them, oh no, only the last 10 years are relevant. So you've intentionally left off the fact that you've got another 20 years of work experience. Is that not being deceptive? I do not want to go 20 years back, 30 years back on a resume. People won't read that far. So I don't think that's deceptive. Where I think lying is, okay, you say you graduated, but you didn't graduate. You say you worked in a particular title at a particular company. You say you're a senior manager. You were actually a junior account manager. That is a lie. 
um, embellishing a little bit. I don't see that a lot. Then you ask the question, like, why you laugh? That's not on your resume. That's during the interview. So I think that is a different story because have people embellish why they've left a particular company or made the story sound better than what it is? Without outline, everyone does that. (laughs) So you're not going to tell a story that puts you in a bad light. Is yeah, I actually I quit because I wasn't showing up to work, and they gave me the option to quit or get fired. I decided to quit. No one's going to say that, or maybe some will. But my overall take when we look at lying on resumes, I think the survey or the article that we read is 40% of people have admitted to lying on a resume, but it was really clickbait because the lying was very minimal in the sense of sometimes they screw up dates. That's not purpose. But yeah, I I don't think it's a big deal. I may be in that uh, altruistic recruiter that I generally believe what I see on their resumes. I take it that there may be some exaggeration. There is a ton more exaggeration on LinkedIn. It's interesting to see people Mm -hmm. that have applied and then you look in their LinkedIn profile and it doesn't match. So I'll always ask a little bit about those discrepancies and see, why are you saying that? Yeah. In preparation for our talk today, I was looking at some new grads. What do they put on their resume when they've had a summer job? And as an experienced recruiter, I can look at this and call bullshit. Yeah. Because the individual had a summer student job and said that he was supervising 14 floor operators or like like uh, workers on the floor. <laughs> can you tell me one company that is going to take a summer student and put them in charge of other employees? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You supervise them. You supervise yeah. them. Yeah, I don't think so. You were there from May until August. It's like- funny you say that because I've seen that with newer people to the workforce. They will generally lie more because there's an actual track record. We've actually done something. So we don't need to embellish or lie. Someone new is trying to find a way to differentiate himself. And they don't understand what due diligence is in the back end. Because when we talk about the overall times that I've caught someone lying, it's less than 1%. It's maybe 0.1%. But a couple of times that it's happened to me when we do a background verification on employment or school, and it comes back, it happened actually like six months ago where we had someone put that they had a degree in computer science. But when we did the verification, they had a degree in English lit. Really oh. big difference. Like really big Just difference. Just a bit. And, and honestly, she was capable. <laughs> she didn't have to lie mm-hmm. at all because we didn't care what her degree was. But the minute that you break that trust as an employee-employer relationship, can you really trust that employee if they're willing to lie on certain things like that? In reality, they shouldn't have. But she didn't know better. And her excuse was, and I don't know if this is true or not, by a career coach saying, you're going this type of role, just change your resume to show computer science. Yeah. And speaking of getting bad advice, the whole notion that you need to change your resume or you'll get rejected by the applicant tracking system. So true enough, if you have some sort of technology that reads the resume and says that you have a bachelor of English literature versus a bachelor of computer science, if that is what's being excluded on the system, but you may still get people looking at what is your experience versus your degree. Because if you had an English lit degree from 1999, then you've been at 20 years in development since. I think the other end of the scale, surprisingly enough, is 
higher income earners. When I look at resumes that have been embellished or what they actually did was exaggerated, like grossly exaggerated, it would be those that are like above 150,000 a year. Interesting. They do tend to be a little more um, fast and loose with the details. Yeah, no, that's news to me because I would think that they've built up to the level where they are with experience and certifications. But what did they actually do on the job? It's usually you've got to be a super good detective and you're not going to find it out until you start interviewing them. And then you realize that they were involved in the project on a very exterior level. Whereas the resume said that they were directly responsible. It's those very small nuances, but the fact is it's a bold ass lie. They weren't. So bottom line, don't lie in your resume. Most recruiters won't dig in that deep, but you will get caught in the employment verification for basic things and exaggerating your job and everything That's always going to be the case. This is what interviews are for. This is why the resume is relevant Mm -hmm. to the interview. To our earlier point that we had a couple of weeks ago, if you ask a question that Elon Musk asks is, tell me about your most difficult project, give me all the details, and you do the same things they have on their resume, you're going to know if they're telling the truth or not. On on that note, I want to leave on one last subject, so I'll have the last word again. I love it. Okay. We talked a lot about labor gap and there's, there's been a lot of situations that the companies are saying it's because of the government benefits. We're trying to do everything possible to hire people. There's just no people applying. So a man in Florida, what he decided to do is run a little bit of an experiment. So this is an experiment. It's not enough data to really correlate a real story behind it, but I thought it was really interesting. So he decided to apply to over 60 jobs in the service industry. And he went on different Facebook business groups that are talking about the labor shortage, how impossible it is to find people. And Mm -hmm. he targeted to apply to those companies to see if he would get a call back and whatever the case is. So he applied to 60. How many responses do you think he got, Shelly? So I did read the article. So I do know that his response is, like even the courtesy of saying no thank you, was something like 10 out of 60. Was that it? Yeah, it was even lower than that. I think he got, honestly, like one real interview from it out of 60. And these were all companies desperate Uh, for workers. The one interview that he did, they had put $10 an hour in the job ad. Yeah. And when he interviewed with them, they tried to walk that back and offer him $8.65. Ooh. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The first thing I thought of was 60 jobs. Like, seriously, were you always applying for things that you're qualified for? Yeah, and the answer was, was yes. He yeah. made sure that he was only applying for jobs that he was qualified for. He had the experience and one interview in 60 applicants. Does that not shock you? Oh, it, it is shocking. But what is the issue? A lot of these are, are small business, franchise, retail business owners. So there's gap in their recruitment process. And they probably don't have a recruitment process in any way. So what happened? Like they're desperate for people and they're getting these applications from a qualified person and not reaching out to them. I I don't get it. The fact is you were qualified, you applied for a job and they never got back to you. That means the recruitment process is broken, in my opinion. Yet they are complaining they can't find people. So 
it, it's a bit of a catch 22 that the business you're so busy trying to cover for the fact that you don't have any staff that you're too busy to hire staff. That's, that'd be the response from the business. I think a very good point, but the flip side to it, these people are being very vocal about government benefits are, are causing it. Well, government benefits where this person actually applied ended in July. Then the last version was September. So we're already past that. Mm-hmm. We can't forget that business got a ton of subsidy as well. So the same people complaining about the subsidies to the workers were getting some on their end as business owners. Is this a ploy just for them to get more subsidies from the government by complaining we can't find workers because of the government subsidies? So I, I don't have a lot of sympathy. If you can't find workers and you're getting applicants, well, that's your problem. I get you're busy, but you're running a business is one of the things that you have to focus on. And the second thing, if people are applying then when you do talk to them and you're giving them shit wages and even advertising higher wages than what you're willing to pay, like, shame on you. Agreed. Shelly, another fantastic week of the recruitment flex. Anything going on with you? I'm thinking I might go to the mountains this weekend. How about you, Serge? I think you should. Yes, there's, there's something very therapeutic. Now, if I had a dog, I'd probably go more often. <laughs> Maybe. It depends. Because I can't bring my French bulldog to a hike in the mountains. I'll tell you that. Because he will go on. Yeah, no thanks. Five- I need something maybe a little bit in between the bulldog and like a, a really athletic dog. Right? Like I need something in between. Well, could- we'll talk about it. So audience, if you have recommendations, please send them to Shelly. Shelly, have a great weekend. And thank you, listeners. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.